Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at thebuglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Good morning from Leeds. I am Andy Zaltzman. This is the Bugle Ashes Zaltzcast review of a fantastic day one of the Headingley Test. England 2-0 down in the series. Had to start well. They had to take their catches. They had to ram home their advantage. And they did one of those three things. Um, They did start well. There was some phenomenal bowling on day one. Uh, An extraordinary Ashes innings from a player who I don't think anyone had picked as one of the key men of the series and another fluctuating day on a pitch that had the kind of speed and bounce we rhapsodise about when England plays in Perth or or somewhere like that. Um, We don't see so often here in England. It was a brilliant, gripping day. Joining me to uh, discuss it, uh, producer Chris, to ask me all the relevant questions about uh, about the day's play. Chris, um, I know you were working yesterday. How how was it to follow, sort of dipping in and out? It was fantastic. It was a it was a proper day of cricket, and we got to talk about cricket. And um, <laughs> I think it's what it's what we we all needed, isn't it? I I, I had I, it was it was so much fun. Um, yes, I was at work. No, I got nothing done. <laughs> so I think the joy of a test match is that we almost don't. I mean, it's obviously brilliant when you can see it, and obviously it's a, even. You know, best when you can see it live. But they can be really thrilling if you're just seeing the score come up on a screen. Yeah. And a game like this, that's where it's constantly changing. And sometimes um, either the wickets column or the runs column, like blink and you'll miss it. It was <laughs> it was one of those days um, uh, where the 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 cricket spirits, the gods of cricket, whatever you want to call them, they fluctuated in their mood quickly uh, across the day. <laughs> and Andy. Yeah. I, I've always loved Mark Wood. Yep. I think there is that he he seems like a man who's quick to smile and just as quick to terrorize you with his unbelievably fast bowling. <laughs> I mean he 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 had his dander up yesterday. He had a look in his eyes and that we'll talk about the wickets later maybe but, but that opening spell just I I don't know. I just I'll, I'll just want to hear you talk about Mark Wood for the next two hours, please. <laughs> okay. Well, when you say you love Mark Wood, you have that in common with 
basically every cricket fan, not just in England, but I think the entire world, it's always been thrilling to watch. He's always had that incredible speed. That, uh, and I've worked with him a, a bit on Test Match Special when he's done one-day one matches with us, and he's uh, as funny and joyous a human being as he looks when he's when he's playing. So, but he's had this sort of up, kind of up and down career where he's just not played that much. Just mm. as his twenty ninth Test made his debut back in twenty fifteen. So he's. Mm. You know, because of injuries, because of the ridiculous thing that he makes his body do to project <laughs> a cricket ball at 95 miles an hour, uh, he's he's never had a kind of real run of games. And he's never been successful in a home test match. He's had decent games, but he's never had a major game. Never had a four-wicket haul before yesterday. Yeah. And then yesterday, that first spell, almost the first ball whizzed through it. I think it was 92 miles an hour. The rest of the over was even quicker than that. But not only that, you obviously have the pure joy of speed as a cricket fan, mm. of watching that level of speed where elite players are, that their reactions are at the absolute limit of, of, of what yeah. humans can do. And it doesn't always lead to wickets. I mean, Brett, Brett Lee on the, you know, was one of the quickest bowlers that we've ever seen. Um, but certainly in England, he, his record was pretty poor, averaged yeah. over 40, I think, over two series in England. So... Uh, and he also swung it, so I don't know quite. I, I could never quite understand why he wasn't taking more wickets than he was. Um, and he was similarly brilliant to watch. But Mark Wood yesterday, the first over, not only was it blindingly fast, and you know that 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 joy of watching the ball kind of carrying through to a wicketkeeper thirty yards behind the stumps, still going up. Um, he had one bouncer that uh, went miles over Bairstow's head and bounced. 10 yards inside the boundary and went for four buys. <laughs> and there was this kind of gasp in the crowd. Um, uh, but he was also swinging it. He was swinging yeah. it quite quite a lot and yeah. quite late. And you thought, oh, this series has changed now. Because what what England in the first two tests have bowled really well to get 38 wickets on two unhelpful pitches with essentially, you know, bowlers in the 80 to 85 max uh, range it's been a process of kind of chiseling craft strategy and on occasion just boring the shit out of australia's batters uh, until they just think oh i've got to try and hit something and, and plank one to long leg but now with that one over you thought oh this could make things happen quickly and the first th uh, you had uh, three maidens in a row with just uh, just buys from them and maybe a leg buy i can't, can't quite remember exactly um, but then the fourth over, the, four, the sixth ball of the fourth over, he bowled Usman Khawaja, who's been so resilient in this series, with this searing ball that swung in and knocked his stump out. And it was just beautiful to watch. Our commentary position at Leeds was just slightly at an angle. And it it looked so perfect. Um, and, you know, it is the greatest sight in cricket, watching a fast bowler yeah. knock a stump out, essentially. Um, and even with the green bales that have cursed test cricket in this country in recent years which you can't see come off the stumps when the stump actually goes out the ground um, it was a, such a spectacular I don't know why we don't have zing bales Chris and yeah. zing stumps like we did for the world test final you want these moments where the ball hits the stumps that, that's you know, the most exciting thing in a cricket in a cricket match and pretty rare um, you often go whole innings in test cricket without the ball hitting the stumps you want to be able to see it we have these green bales because of the sponsors think that someone are more likely to buy I don't know what it is, insurance, because the bales are f***ing green, uh, so you can't see them when it's one of the... The number of wickets that have been wrongly called by commentators because they've not seen the f***ing bales come off. Sorry, the bleep machines are in uh, uh, in uh, active use this morning. Uh, is uh, ridiculous. So either either 
paint them a colour that the spectators can see or get them to light up using the wonders of modern technology. Anyway, uh, Green Bale ran over. It was... Um, it was absolutely wonderful. Since Mark Wood changed his action, uh, Chris, had lengthened his run-up, uh, he used to have this kind of short sprint and explosive hurl. Um, since he, he then went to a really long run-up, it's this beautiful rhythm and, and still has the ridiculous hurl at the end. Since he changed his, uh, his run-up, which was early, early 2019, he started bowling with this, this new run-up, uh, his test bowling average is 24. Prior to that, it was almost 41. Mm. And his one-day numbers have got significantly better as well. So it, it's been, you know, whenever he's played, uh, it's he's been generally really, really good, uh, particularly overseas. Um, and here was a nice stat uh, about Mark Wood. He took um, six for 37 in Hobart in the last innings of the last Ashes. And through that series, he bowled incredibly quick. And, and finally, in the last innings, he got a heap of wickets that he'd been threatening. Uh, so back-to-back innings, six for 37, five for 34. Uh, since Freddie Truman in 1961, there's only been four other occasions of an England bowler getting five wicket hauls in consecutive innings against Australia. Two have been Stuart Broad um, <laughs> in the, the Durham test of 2013 in both innings and then in the fourth and fifth tests of the 2009 Ashes. Jimmy Anderson in both innings at Trent Bridge in 2013 and Ian Botham, uh, in a non-Ashes test in Australia late in 1979. So that's a pretty good list for Mark Wood uh, now to be on. And um, it was absolutely glorious to watch. It, it was incredible. He gave the statistical quirk as well, I think, uh, on that first one. Was it not um, four overs, three maidens, two runs, one wicket? It was. It looked, looked great. beautiful. Yeah. And you kind of think of that type of bowling, getting smacked all over the place and you know, getting maybe, I don't know, two for... Two for thirty off six overs, but Wood was just absolutely on the spot, and you know a, a batting side as good as Australia pretty much couldn't play it in that spell. They were just desperately trying to trying to hang on, um, and you know there's a fragility about it. He's thirty three now. He he does something that the human body is not designed to do. He misses most games that England play. So when he plays and it all clicks, we uh, we have to appreciate it. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Well, um, Andy, of course, we do recommend that uh, our listeners are always insured whenever they travel. You know, let's 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 make that clear. You know, <laughs> an uninsured traveller is at risk. Um, I tell you who was making things travel, and that was Mitchell Marsh and the <laughs> cricket ball. Um, yes, I mean Australia when he came to the crease were, and the, the swear answer has always come out. So I'm going to use the word they were fucked, <laughs> and and and. Travis Head has been their counter-punching guy, and he 
batted within himself. Oh, not necessarily early on. I think they both sort of counterpunched a little bit early on. But then that was an Ashes batting performance that would get, if not its own chapter, certainly a few pages, <laughs> wouldn't it? Uh, it was extraordinary. Uh, we met some um, Australian tourists in the in the bar after play yesterday, and one of them said he'd met he'd bumped into Mitchell Marsh in the Tate Modern Art Gallery um, <laughs> in London, uh, of course. And um, and Mitchell Marsh had basically said to him, "Oh, I don't think I'm going to play. I'm basically on holiday." <laughs> <And> then because um, <laughs> they picked Cameron Green in most of their last sort of twenty five odd Test matches, yeah. he didn't. You know, he's done. He's not had a massive impact on the series other than with his fielding. But then he had a slight injury. They rested and they brought Marsh in, who's played. He played, I think, four Red Bull first class games since he played at the Oval in two thousand and nineteen. Um, and. <laughs> Uh, out of all the things you would have predicted, Chris, coming into this series, mm. um, you know, Marnus Labuschagne having no 50s in seven innings, including the World Test Championship final, uh, Steve Smith failing twice on day ones of series, and he came into the series averaging around about 100 on day one of test matches. You wouldn't have predicted those. You wouldn't have, England bowling 51 consecutive overs of bouncers despite not having anyone who could bowl more than about 84 miles an hour. You wouldn't have predicted that. And you certainly would not have predicted it working and turning the Lord's <laughs> test in England's favour before they then turned it back out of their favour. Um, you would probably wouldn't have predicted them. England repeatedly pissing away positions of, of strength. You might have predicted, um, which they've generally been quite good at uh, not doing in the last year or so, um, but you might not have thought they would be in quite so many positions of strength to piss away, so it's a positive in some ways. Um, a wicketkeeper who not kept regularly in years and sm uh, smashed his legs to pieces playing golf uh, last year, not magically turning into a latter-day Alan Knott. You'd probably have predicted that. Indeed, I did predict that on this uh, this show. All of these were predictable to differing degrees, but Mitchell Marsh smashing one of the all-time great Ashes hundreds, you would not have... I don't think anyone, even Mitchell Marsh, would have predicted that, based on the fact that he was unlikely to get in the team, and uh, his test record was appalling, frankly, as a as a as a as someone who looked like they could be a, a top level all rounder. A couple of hundreds in the ashes in 2017-18, not a lot else, batting average mid-twenties, comes in and smashes one of the all-time great ashes hundreds. 113 in the session between lunch and tea. What was slightly underrated about that batting, aside from the the phenomenally powerful stroke play. There was one off drive that I think uh almost knocked down the entire stand and uh, the media centre. It was hit so hard. It hit the, It reached the boundary. It seemed like in about a third of a second. Um, uh, I, I'm just, yeah, just sort of drilled a hole through the advertising hoardings, a few people in the crowd, um, ambulances were called. But it was um, 113 in the session. <laughs> it's the joint third most ever in the session of Ashes cricket by, a, by an individual player. And the two that were more than it, you've got to go back to the 1930s, Don Bradman at Headingley, 115 in the session in 1930, in a day in which he scored more than 100 in two of the sessions. Um, Stan McCabe at Trent Bridge, 127 in 1938 in innings that Bradman said was one of the best he ever saw. Uh, then a couple of other 113s in the 19th century, K.S. Ranjit Sinji at Old Trafford. And George Bonner, the uh, a giant Australian all-rounder who basically had one decent test innings, but it was a, a, a ridiculous century. So um, it, it was extraordinary to see. But let's not underrate this. He faced 109 balls in that session and Travis had 49. So he can certainly count to six as well as, as, yeah. well as club the ball miles uh, into, uh, into the stand. So it was um, a phenomenal. He's joined, here's, here's a nice Mitchell Marsh stat. He's now, he took a five-wicket innings in that oval test uh, four years ago, now scored an Ashes 100, 
So players who have a century and a five-wicket haul in the Ashes in England, he joins in reverse uh, chronological order, Ben Stokes, Andrew Flintoff, Ian Botham. The last Australian to do it was Keith Miller, great post-war all-rounder. Um, Charlie McCartney, who played either side of the First World War, and F.S. Jackson, who captained England in the early 20th century. And now Mitchell Marsh is on that list. You would not have predicted that before this series started. Well, there's still time uh, in this match for Mark Wood to hit a ton. Uh, there and, is. I mean, that, we would that, love to that see would that. Be, would, that would be quite the thing. <laughs> it was. I mean, he's quite a handy... He's rare amongst England tail-enders in that he really tries his best every time he bats, yeah. uh, rather than uh, just wafting it away if they can't be asked. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not impossible, but it is unlikely. <laughs> um, uh, can we have a quick mention for um, uh, Chris Wokes, who yes. just, just um, like... like Woods and Marsh has not played much, particularly test cricket in, in recent times. And ba- based on the way Jimmy was bowling in the first two tests, it probably seemed like a, su- a surprising upgrade. Uh, yeah, I mean, Anderson on this pitch, I think, would have been different. Um, and, you know, there was more s- swing today and that ball as said, was carrying through faster. The movement then becomes more likely to take an edge and carry to slip. So, uh you think Wokes on those first two pitches might have struggled like Anderson did, but he's been a really good player for England, and who's just he's so easy to drop, Chris Wokes, because I think he's the human being least likely to bleat to the media about <laughs> unfair treatment. Yeah. Um, here's uh, another uh, another one I've worked with a bit on TMS, absolutely lovely guy. I don't think I've ever heard anyone in cricket say anything remotely negative about Chris Wokes as a human being. Um, but he was a player, again, like Mitchell Marsh, you would could well have thought would never play Test cricket again. Um, again, uh, England he's a, he's a key bowler for the England uh, white ball side, so, and he's getting old, getting older, getting you know, had a few injuries. You might think England would just save him for the the World Cup later this year, but he's come back, bowled really well, three wickets, two drop catches, um, and yeah, top order wickets as well. It was uh, yeah, it was great to see. I mean, it was uh, yeah, two. Well, we had eight wickets from bowlers beginning with W. Now you ask me, is that a record? Got to and, be. Well, Chris, you know, I do a lot of pointless things in my life <laughs> when it comes to looking up cricket stats. Um, uh, that might be the most pointless. If I'd had 20 minutes spare since yesterday's play, which I wasn't asleep, uh, I would have done it for you. But I'm afraid I couldn't be asked. Um, so I, I don't know the answer to that question. I know Frank Worrell had a seven for, for West Indies, uh, better, better known as a, as a, as a batter. Um, yeah. But, you know, they were the three Ws, Weeks, Warren and Walcott, uh, the famous uh, West Indians post, post-war. Um, we had the two Ws yesterday. We can, if we include Woot, uh, can we call it three? Yep. I mean, we, m- more more whoops with his catching. And, um... <laughs> yes. Whoa, yes. Well, the cat, I mean, Bairstow, I'm, I make it, has now taken nine of 16 chances in this series, which is not great for a wicketkeeper. Carey, 16 out of 18. Some of those for Bairstow, tricky. Some, he really really should have got um that has been a one of the i mean it's very hard to say that's been the decisive factor in this series because there've been so many decisive factors it's hard to say which is the most decisive of the decisive <laughs> factors um but root dropping dropping two uh, and, and a technical third one at short leg where the ball went sort of straight through his hands you occasionally see them caught but but you know, let's call it two drops from root two from uh, two from bear so one of them difficult one of them not and again 
these are shaping the series. And essentially, if you look at England's bowlers, I mentioned uh, that England's batters after two tests had a better average than Australia's, but the extras have been uh, have given Australia the the, the edge in total runs. Um, in terms of chances created, um, England's bowlers are doing quite significantly better than Australia's, yeah. but they've not they've not taken them. And it has. I mean, yesterday shaped the game hugely. Smith had added only another eighteen, but still, you know, if he'd been out for four. Again, shifts the game a bit. Travis Head dropped early on, went on to 39. Mitchell Marsh uh, dropped on 12 uh, by Roots, uh, 118. I mean, that's... Uh, I mean, who knows? I mean, England's still in a decent position in this game. You'd say it's basically level uh, with, you know, the potential for England once again to be bowled out for 130 or for Root, Stokes and Bairstow uh, to all-score brilliant centuries and then England's uh, strong-looking tail to come in and whack it around and England get 600 for eight. It's unlikely, but uh, that's the joy of uh, the joy of, the joy of cricket. You don't know what's going, going to happen. But that drop, if England loses this game, that may well be seen as the decisive, the most decisive of the decisive moments in this test. Uh, so so, so let, let's have a quick look forward. Um, a player I wanted to single out because I don't think many uh, England fans would have seen him. And particularly given how dry it looks at Headingley and the fact that Australia will be bowling in, in the fourth innings, is Todd Murphy. Do, do, do you know much about, other than the fact that he's 23 and looks 40, um, <laughs> do, do, have you got much insight on him? Well, he he wears glasses, um, which I think always <laughs> helps. Pop, it, makes, yeah. it makes a, a spinner look like they are plotting, I think. Yeah. It looks like there is something Machiavellian going on in their head, a studious look. Yeah. Um, he uh, bowled well in India. Uh, on, but It's quite hard to tell from the pitches in India. Some turned a lot and the one at the end did less than nothing. It's a bit hard to tell. He's only played 12 first-class matches, got a decent record so far, but this, again, is something different. And you say the fourth-innings pitch at Headingley, um, it's, I was looking at the stats before the game, uh, in first innings, it's about average, around about 30 runs per wicket. Second innings, 35 runs per wicket. This is over the, since 2014. Uh, third highest second innings uh, collective average of any test ground in the world uh, since 2014. Out of the ground, sort of, I think, hosted up, up a three or more match filter on that one. So it's generally been a place where it doesn't get more difficult and often gets easier in the second innings. So it's going to be a, it's a difficult pitch I think for uh, for him to make his Ashes debut on, if England get get in a good position, I think they'll attack him hard. That, it'll probably be something he's not encountered in his first-class career, the nature of England's attack. Now, that might work in his favour, or it might not. Uh, so he's very highly rated by the Australian media. It'll be really interesting to see if those glasses hoodwink England. We saw Abra Ahmed come in in Pakistan with glasses and... Uh, he absolutely bamboozled England uh, in the first innings that he bowled at them, and then they sort of got on top of him, and they realised that the glasses were all for show. Um, uh, and you know, he still did quite well in the rest of the series, but not as well. So maybe maybe Murphy needs to strike in his first innings before England realised that the the glasses are a fraud. I mean, that's if he's needed to bowl. Uh, uh, well, that yes, that too. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of today's Bugle Ashes Zoltz cast. If I had to predict what's going to happen today, I would say it's unpredictable. Um, like I said, <laughs> England England might get skittled. They might go big. We might see Mark Wood taking six for two in the evening session. Um, it's been, yeah, another brilliant start and a brilliant series. Do join us tomorrow to find out what happens. Uh, thanks once again to producer Chris. Do listen to all the other stuff in the Bugle stable at thebuglepodcast.com. <laughs>